So, Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into one of these cisterns in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from him and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. This cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them to Egypt. Judah said to his brother, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who then took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in blood. They took the ornate robe back to his father and said, We found this. Examine to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Andrew. Glad to be with you this morning. And we are on uh, week three of the story. We are traveling through the biblical story over these three summers. This summer is the first of our summers where we are kind of beginning at the beginning. We started with Genesis and we are going to be traveling through the entire biblical narrative, kind of beginning to end, looking and understanding about what God is doing in the big picture. What is God doing throughout the entirety of of the biblical narrative. Uh, as we get going this morning, if you've got your Bible, you want to bring it out, we're going to be in the beginning. We're going to be in Genesis still. That's the first, first book of the Bible. So if you want to whip that out or your apps, if you've got your phone, you want to bring it out, we're going to be in Genesis today. Uh, around chapter 30, 36, 37, we're going to be in there. Otherwise, this is the resource that we mentioned to you. If you want to pick it up, you can find it online, bookstores, stuff like that. This is the story uh, written as uh, a little bit more of a uh, novel style and a little easier to read for you if you uh, are interested in that. So, um, yeah, we are on week three already of the story. And again, we're looking at the story, the biblical story, in three ways, three levels, if you will. We are looking at the overarching narrative, the big picture. Who is this God and what is he doing throughout the entirety of the story? What are his characteristics and what is he busy doing? We're also looking at and understanding that 
through biblical characters, kind of that middle story. You see, we get to know God when we examine biblical characters and how God is active in these biblical characters' lives. From there, we can begin to understand how does this relate to you and to me. If this is who our God is, this is how we have seen him at work in the stories, in people's lives. Now we look at how he's working in our own lives. Today we are going to be picking it up with Joseph. Joseph. And Joseph is a fascinating character in the Bible. Uh, We actually know a ton about Joseph. Joseph has a number of chapters that really follows him in great detail. We really know a lot about Joseph. In fact, we even know what Joseph looks like. It looks a lot like Donny Osmond. Go, 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 Joseph, you know what they say. Right? Come on, nobody? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, all right, all right, all right. How many of you have seen Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat? Okay, lots of hands. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, this is what's so cool about the Bible. It's, it's, it's so important. It's speaking in such big ways that even today, here you have a major musical production that is, is, is grafting onto this story and lifting it up because it's so powerful and it's so meaningful and there's so much there. And trying to convey it, even today in pop culture, we begin to see how the, how the Bible has things to say and to speak now. And this is one of the ways that culture actually reflects the biblical narrative. So we, we do know actually a lot about Joseph. I'm not sure if he looked quite like Donny Osmond, but uh, what I do know about him is I can tell you a little bit about his family history. I want to give you a, a backdrop to understand Joseph. Uh, This is going to be hard to see. That's okay. It's a family tree, okay? And I'll walk you through it. Do you remember how last week we talked about a biblical character? Uh, Anyone remember his name? His name was... No one remembered. That's okay. Pastor Bob's in the Boundary Waters. You all get a pass. (laughs) Try it again. Anyone remember who we talked about last week? The call of... Abraham! Abraham, yes. So, okay, in this top corner... This is Abraham. And Abraham has, has children. He does have a son. One, he has two sons. Uh, but one of his sons, the one that, that we track through, is Isaac. Okay? Isaac then has a son. He has two sons as well. But we track through one specific son. His name is Jacob. Jacob. God actually changes Jacob's name to Israel. And that is where you get, even to this modern day times, the name Israel tracks all the way back to this fellow, this one guy, who is the grandson of Abraham. Jacob has 12 sons and one daughter. He's a busy guy, okay? He has 12 sons and one daughter that eventually make up the 12 tribes of Israel. But that's later on, because in the beginning, these 12 sons don't all get along that peachy good keen. One of them is Joseph. Right there. That guy is Joseph. Joseph is one of 12 brothers. And what's unique about Joseph is that Joseph's mother is Rachel. Rachel is Jacob's favorite. You still tracking with me? What this means is Jacob has a favorite son, Joseph. Joseph is the the favorite son because because his father loved his mother so very much. Jacob actually had multiple wives. That was common practice in that culture. But his favorite wife gave him Joseph. 
And so, so there started to be some tension because Jacob was showing favoritism to Joseph. Now, Israel, that is Jacob, God changes Jacob's name to Israel. Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age. What it's getting at there is that in his, uh, Jacob had to work a really long time in order to be married to his, his favorite wife, Rachel. And so uh, he made him a long robe with sleeves. This is the Technicolor dream coat, okay? It doesn't say that it was a Technicolor dream coat, but that's what it's describing, okay? That's where we get this whole Technicolor dream coat thing, all right? This is the biblical evidence for it. So Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children. Well, what did the brothers think about that? Not so hot. When his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than all the other brothers, they hated him. And they couldn't even speak peaceably to him. So there's tension going on. As a side note, parents don't have favorite children. Don't do that. That's a bad idea. You're going to find out in this story how that is such a bad idea. Because what happens is that his brothers, in verse 11, in Genesis, they get jealous. And there is tension. So much tension, so much angst, so much anger. They develop this plot to get rid of Joseph. You heard it read, right? His brothers see Joseph coming. Joseph's trying to be a nice guy. He's figuring he's going to be a shepherd when he grows up. He's probably, what, 17, something like that. And so he runs off to help his older brothers care for the sheep. Brothers see him coming and say, now's our chance, now's the moment, let's take him out. Let's get rid of him. And eventually they sell him off as a slave. Now Joseph, Joseph just went from favorite son, awesome, good, privilege, got my Technicolor dream coat, and through the decision-making and the brokenness of this world, made evident in his brother's decisions, his brother's jealousy, because of his brother's angst and hate and anger, as a result, Joseph becomes a slave. Joseph falls from grace, so to speak. He, he starts on top, and all of a sudden, life isn't what he thought it would be as he all of a sudden becomes a slave in Egypt. He is sold to Potiphar. Here's what it says in 37. Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. They took him down to Egypt. That's how we get into Egypt. When he's in Egypt, he's actually bought by someone. He's bought by the captain of Pharaoh's guard. His name is Potiphar. And, and what's fascinating about this is that though Joseph, his life is kind of in the tank... I mean, he goes from being favorite son, he's probably going to inherit all the wealth, things are looking good, to slave. Joseph, despite the brokenness, starts to find favor with Potiphar. You see, in the moment when Joseph probably would have, could have, maybe, perhaps even should have, thought that God had abandoned him, God had ditched him, look at what happened to my life, God, why did you let this happen to me? Why, why are my brothers so mean? God, have you abandoned me so that now I'm a slave? I was favorite son. I'm now a slave. God, what's going on? We find out the Lord was with Joseph. This is an important point. 
God is with Joseph despite the evil pain and suffering done unto Joseph. God does not leave him. God does not abandon him. Instead, in that moment when Joseph is so low, God, rather than keeping Joseph at arm's length, gets his hands dirty. He steps in real close. The Lord was with Joseph so much so that he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of the Egyptian master. You see, when Joseph's at this low point, God gets involved in such a tangible way to start healing and bringing hope into Joseph's life. The guy's a slave. He doesn't have much going for him now. And yet that's where God steps so close that all of a sudden everything Joseph does succeeds. So much so. So much so that, 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 that God begins to bless not only Joseph, but what Joseph does for Potiphar. He begins, God begins to bless Joseph's master, Potiphar. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. You see, Joseph, who, who, who had become favorite son, dropped down to slave, all of a sudden is, is, is being healed, and, and there's hope because he's put in charge of Potiphar's house, and life is again looking up. So much so that Potiphar says, Joe, you got it, man. I'm kicking back. You take care of everything. This is going so well. You just, you just got the keys to the house, man. Lock up when you're done at night. It's all good. And God blesses not only Joseph, but Potiphar. And so we see the dip begin to rise. Things are looking better. The story continues, though. And we begin to see through Joseph's life a cycle emerging. Really awesome good, really bum low. Work our way back up. Pretty good. You see, when he was, when he was up, uh, up top, top dog at Potiphar's house, he's a good-looking guy. He looks like Donny Osmond after all. And so the, the, the wife of Potiphar looking at him is saying, Wow, yeah, stud, come lay with me. Come, come be with me. Come be intimate with me. And Joseph says, no, that's not what I do. That's not what my God asks of me. You see, uh, uh, God never left me when I was in a low spot. I'm not going to leave him now that I'm in a high spot. There's no way. I'm not doing that, man. And so she accuses him of rape. She's so angry, so bitter, just like the brothers. Brokenness, anger, hate, malice, bitterness. And as a result of her anger and bitterness and malice... Joseph once more goes from being top dog, life's looking up, I got hope, I got a future, to all of a sudden life is crumbling so much so that he is now not only not a slave, he's in prison behind bars. And you begin to see this up, down, up, down. We begin to see in Joseph a lot of what we feel in our own lives, do we not? I mean, do you ever feel up and down sometimes? Do you, do you face struggles and challenges? Have you ever been victim of situations and circumstances where other people have hurt you, where there's been pain or suffering that has been a part of your life, where maybe life didn't go the way you thought it would? You, you were expecting, just like Joseph, to inherit, and you were expecting to be an awesome shepherd, and you were expecting life to look like this, and all of a sudden the rug gets pulled out from beneath you, you get thrown in a well, and things bottom out, and life is tough. 
And you ask the question even, has God abandoned me? God, where are you in this? We begin to see in this cycle that God does not abandon us. Rather, in the midst of our tragedy, God is at work bringing healing, hope, and restoration. He's not even responsible for the tragedy. That's, that's our problem. That's other broken people in our world. That's disease and famine and pain and hurt that creeps into our lives and breaks us down. And yet with Joseph, we begin to see how every time he is broken down, God intervenes so as to build him back up. You see, once he's in prison, the same thing that happened in Potiphar's home happens in prison. The head honcho, the big cheese at the prison, is looking at Joseph saying, Joseph, I'll give you some small menial tasks. Soon, all of a sudden, Joseph is running the joint. He's running the place. And things are going really well, so well. God intervenes to bring such blessing to Joseph that God blesses the prison. And the prison head honcho. And life once more is good. He gets called in front of, all of a sudden, the rug gets pulled out. He gets called in front of Pharaoh. And he's told, listen, Joseph, I hear you got this relationship with your God, so we're going to put it to the test. Either you tell me how to interpret these dreams, or I'm going to kill you. What do you think about that, Joe? Great, we went from slave to prison to, I'm going to kill you if you don't give me the right answer. Pretty low? Is that fair to say? Yeah, I'd say so. And yet God intervenes in such a way as to give Joseph what he needs, so much so that, that he becomes elevated. Pharaoh elevates him to the second in command of the entire country. In this moment where Joseph's life hangs in the balance, Joseph could have been looking around saying, God, what's going on, man? Where are you? It's the exact moment God is so close. And speaks through Joseph in such a way that Pharaoh is pleased and raises Joseph to being second in command, second of the entire country of Egypt. And God blesses not only Joseph, but Egypt as well. A famine comes. Joseph's really good at this administration thing. We've seen it at Potiphar's house. We've seen it at the prison. He does really well in Egypt, and he ends up saving all of Egypt from starving. Finally, this final cycle that we see is that his brothers are starving. They hear they got food down in Egypt because this guy named Joe, who's second in command to Pharaoh, was smart enough to put food aside. They go down there in Joseph's past. He has to come face to face with his past and the brokenness that started the cycle in the very beginning. And even then, at perhaps the hardest moment, where he has to find within himself through God's grace and goodness, he comes before God and, and, he's, and he, he is moved to actually forgive the brothers that started this whole thing in the beginning. Here's the deal. Here's what I want you to see and understand from Joseph's life. This is what's so important. In Joseph's life, we begin to see that yes, there will be suffering. Yes, there will be challenges. Life isn't going to be a box of chocolates and candied and roses and smell great with butterflies. There's going to be tough stuff. 
There's going to be pain. And yet in those moments when we are so deep in our pain, those are the exact moments where we begin to see how truly close God actually is. And how in those moments He is working for our good. I would say it like this. God uses evil and pain. He uses the brokenness in our lives for good. That's what He does for Joseph. This means that on the big picture, on the overarching picture, the big biblical narrative... We have a God who is not afraid to intervene when things get dirty and nasty in life. Instead, He actually embraces pain. He embraces suffering. God doesn't keep pain and suffering at arm's length. He walks up to it and He gives it a big hug. When life is in the dumps, those are the moments God is most at work. He proves this to us by Himself embracing pain and suffering through the cross. God isn't afraid to get His hands dirty with evil. He actually embraces it. It begins to work for healing, hope, and restoration. In your life, what what are you experiencing right now? What what are the pain and the hurt that you are carrying? What is the stuff and the challenges, the brokenness in your life? Maybe you've invited that brokenness into your life through your own decisions. Maybe you're just simply a victim. Is it fair to say that there are challenges in our world that we are all a part of? Look at the news. There's pain and suffering. But it is in the midst of your pain and your suffering that God is close, working. God will use the pain and hurt in your life for good. It does not say that He caused it. He did not cause the pain and suffering. So often we put the blame on Him. What the Scriptures tell us is that when you are in pain and in suffering, God is working for your good. And through your pain, through your suffering, He will not only work for your good, but He will work through you for the good of others. Just like He did for Joseph. It says it like this in 2 Corinthians. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When we face trials and tribulations, He comforts us so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. You see, I guarantee if you're, if you're a Christian and have experienced God's grace in, in your life, I guarantee you have experienced a struggle. And if you follow Christ and you know Him, you have also experienced great joy. This is your testimony. It's a fancy Christian word. How many of you have ever heard of the word testimony before? Yeah, okay, it gets used all the time. If you're non-Christian and somebody says, I want to share my testimony with you, what they are going to be doing 
is sharing, just like how we learn from Joseph, you will be at a chance to learn through this person's testimony, their story of how they had life all put together, all planned out. It was, it was full of roses, and all of a sudden, stuff hit the fan. And it didn't go the way we thought. And we bottomed out, and we've had trials, and we've had tribulations, and we've had struggles, and yet we have a God who uses our pain and hurt and suffering for good. A God who in my life has rebuilt my marriage. A God in my life who has helped me reconcile with my kids. A God in my life who who has helped me when moments when I lost my job and I didn't know where to go and I was down in the dumps. In those moments, God actually was close to me and He built me back up in my character and in wisdom and in hope and in healing. Because that's the kind of God we have. A God who draws close in our pain and works with us to use it for good. Earlier this week, I was talking with a couple and they had some significant struggles where life did not go the way they planned. There was a significant issue that they were facing together. And it was not what they had ever planned nor anticipated. And it was hard. It still is hard. And yet they are placing their hope and their trust in a God who is close, in Joseph's God, in my God, in your God, who is close in the midst of their pain and will bring them through the trial and actually use that, build them up in such a way that the struggle they face is something that will bless others someday. This is part of our story. This is part of who we understand God to be and how He is working in our lives. I'll leave you with a final image if I had to use this pictorially to share with you. There are moments in our life where life seems all together, we're flying high, life is good, things seem put together and happy, and life is like this intricate pot that has been crafted and shaped and it's been painted and it's beautiful and you're excited. And things are looking up. And then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, through whatever circumstances, through whatever situations, whether we caused it, whether it was done to us, whether it was disease or famine, whatever pain or suffering comes a part of our lives, there is brokenness that draws close. We ourselves are broken. And our pain and hurt. We have a God who literally walked the earth looking for broken people. Literally walked the earth looking for those who are suffering and hurting and crying. Those on the side of the road tossed aside where people say there's no hope or no future there. And yet our God gets so close. He gets his hands dirty and digs into our lives. He begins to mend us, recreate us. And he makes us into something new. Out of the fragments of our shattered dreams, 
God recreates us. God recreates you. I like the image of this pot because not only does it convey a sense of healing and wholeness and, and, and there's a future there despite all the broken kind of jutting pieces, but that did you notice a pot is something you can grow things in. You see, not only is the pot made whole, but in fact, you, you can plant something in there and it can grow and it can bear fruit. It can, it can be a flower. It can be something that blesses others even. And so our lives turn into something that others witness and see and know how good our God is. My prayer is that you'll just think about and pray over this image in your own life. When have you been this perfect little pot? And when has life been broken for you? And when are the moments when God has drawn you together, all your brokenness, all your broken pieces, and recreated you into something which He truly delights in? Because that's the story. It's Joseph's story. That's the biblical story. That's your story. Your God is close, knitting you together once again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you choose to be close to us rather than abandon us or be at arm's length. It is in the most dark and hardest of moments where you are so evident and so clear. Give us eyes to see how close you are and how you are indeed working for our good. We confess to you too often we invite brokenness into our lives. Sometimes we are victims. Sometimes we are perpetrators. And yet in all things, you work for the good of those who call upon you. You worked for Joseph's good. Continuously, not just once, but over and over and over again. And so too in our lives. Work for our good. In doing so, in doing so, work for the good of others. Heal us in the midst of our pain and suffering. Give us a hope and give us a future. We ask this because we know the story. We know the story of how you have continuously throughout history brought healing and hope to your people in the most destitute and lowest of times. We pray this through Christ, who embraced brokenness and all of its fullness upon the cross. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.